I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, uh, it's the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm the host. With me this week is my fantastic co-host, Joe Perez. Uh, Joe, instead of doing the what have you been doing thing, we're going to launch right into the story that we interrupted <laughs> that you were about to tell during the pre-show. So go for it. Talk. Okay, so we were talking about totem bending and totem twisting. They're two different things. Uh, totem bending, for uh, we talked about it on the pre-show, but a little quick caveat is where you would place totems strategically to use it to bounce your chain heal so that you could avoid mechanics while still healing tanks or key members of uh, different encounters, and you could cheese encounters with it back throughout Burning Crusade. Uh, totem twisting was when you could drop multiple totems in a very specific order and maintain the buff for all of them. And it was such a uh, very difficult thing to do because back back during these days, add-ons weren't really as robust as they are now. Like, bar add-ons, there was maybe two. And most people, like, this is, this is how I learned how... I learned Lua because of Burning Crusade, and particularly because of Totem Twisting. So I couldn't quite get the finger movements down with the hotkeys or any combination therein to do it myself, so I actually scripted out an add-on sp- specifically for Totem Twisting, and it worked, and it worked really, really well. And I used to be able to maintain all of the major buffs, the spell damage, the wind fury, the mana regen, the whole nine without having to worry about anything dropping. And it also happened to trigger review by GMs because of how quickly it was doing it in the background that that actually launched my first visit to GM Island because they thought I was hacking or assaulting the game. <laughs> so that's how that, that was the very first time that I ever wound up there and realized that GM Island was a real thing and not a thing of myth. Yeah, it was totem totem twisting in particular was the bane of my existence when i tried to play my horde uh, my main horde character was a shaman for a very long time um we're talking two and a half expansions i had a warrior of course as well 
but the rating I did was mostly on that shaman. And yeah, totem twisting was just so hard to do right. And people who could do it right, I totally, absolutely salute you because it was just not something I was capable of doing. Yeah, it was it was just so powerful, way way too powerful if you could if you could do it. And I know people that did it without add-on assist, and they were nigh on to gods. So, yeah, the the guy that got me into playing a shaman in the first place was like that. Um, but we're gonna talk about them then there, Tom. I did it again. I'm doing it again. Why am I a prospector? <laughs> we're doing top stories now. He says in his normal accent. <laughs> I'm not doing a Western accent for this. I don't understand it. But yeah, um, because I wanted to talk about this one first, it's the least important, but in some ways it's the most fun for me. They did uh, The guys at Complexity Limit, uh, I still call them Limit in my head, but I'm trying to, to put the complexity in there. They, they did an interview with uh, PC Games N, and they were talking about the stuff that it took to get World First Nazoth. And one of the things they revealed was that both they and Method probably spent over 200 million gold. Yeah. They knew that they'd spent 257 million gold. Uh, I did. I did a quick comparison for the article I wrote about this, where I said that's 51.4 Brutusaur mounts. Yeah. You get five million a pop. That's 51.4 of them. So in essence, killing the Zoth on Mythic was like the equivalent of bringing 51.4 Brutusaurs in and just having them trample him. That's now, that's how much gold they spent, and that's not counting. That's purely gold for stuff like BOEs and stuff. Because keep in mind that the BOEs can have corruption on them. That was a it was a good way to get geared up fast, was to just buy every BOE they could, and then they did. Uh, but also that doesn't count things like the the split heroic runs they were doing, where like their 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 raid group would break up into two or three heroic runs that used other pl- people from other guilds and so forth. They called it the limit lackey system, and I'm not thrilled about that name, quite frankly, but. Yeah. Basically, it was a way to funnel more gear to their raid so that they could get it done faster. Well, um, and there's people who wanted to help. Oh, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say the scary thing about that too is now you consider that we are in an uh, uh, economic system inside the game where you can actually officially buy gold with real money because you can buy WoW tokens and sell them, and they will still sell. So I'm curious how much of that 257 million gold was actually spent from their sponsorship money. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I do know that someone sat down and figured out that at the at the current prices at the time that it was being done, you're looking at between 35 and 40 thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a lot of money. If they, for if they were if you were buying all of and again, there's no way to know. But if they were actually spending cash money to buy all that gold. Uh, that's how much it would cost. They didn't. They took out loans from other players because there's other gold-capped players on the servers that they were using, and they basically did things like buy... They would do things like buy a BOE on a server that they're not on and then transfer the character with those BOEs to their server to get them. There's lots of stuff they did. There's a reason it was cost so much money to do. Um, and I just find that, you know... World first rating has changed so much in the past few years. And one of the ways it's changed is that there actually is a market for it. Now it used to just be something guilds did. And now it's the guilds are doing it for, for sponsorships and to be watched. Yep. The the mythic world first raid is a big deal that people want to watch. You saw that thing method did their recruitment video. Where they were kind of, it was, it was self deprecating. They weren't attacking anybody else. I want to make that clear. Um, they were 
definitely poking fun at themselves, but they said something like too much, you know, too much pizza, too many breaks. And I was like, I don't, that's the mindset you kind of are in at this point because you are in a competitive, this is a competitive field. This is, you are actually competing with other guilds around the world. It's not just server pride. It's not just world pride. It's, you know, this is a business. This is an actual business. These people are running and this is their, this is what they do. Um, I, I find it really interesting and fascinating and a little frightening and completely outside of, of my experience playing World of Warcraft. I've never been on this level. And I never will be. I'm absolutely never going to say that I was. Um, the closest I ever got was being on a, on a server for a guild. And that was a little much for me after, after a while. So I can't, this level of comp- competition is way past me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things where the part that I always like looking at this is how how the internet and technology has changed world first rating and made it into a business, made it into a commodity, made it into uh, essentially a product that can be sold, a business that could be made when none of the stuff existed when we started. And it was bragging rights. It was trying to lure the best players on your server into your guild. Uh, but even then it was only if maybe you got the word of mouth that you did it first. Cause there were no achievements back then. There wasn't a, nothing that said we did it first. It was refreshing pages and looking for kill counters and, and items like that. I, I still remember being in a guild going for a server first Ragnaros kill and like how that was such so as weird tense thing. But then afterwards there was this weird, like representatives from all of the guilds that were in this race on the server. And this is back in Zuljin back in the day, got into a voice chat system. And I think it was vent back then might've been, yeah, it was vent. It might've been vent. What's that? It might've been team speak. Yeah. Maybe team speak. I don't remember when vent came out. It might've been team speak. I think that existed by the time that BC, uh, the, at least it existed before BC. I remember that people had vent servers, but it it was TeamSpeak was the big thing for like a couple of tiers of rating. But I remember them getting on a voice program with each other at one point and comparing kill timers to determine which guild, like it was almost like a summit to determine which guild actually got the server first Ragnaros kill. And it was the weirdest thing because I remember sitting there and everybody, everybody was still waiting on guild chat, like guild voice chat, waiting to see if we did it or not. Like if we actually had the bragging rights for it. Um, and uh, Vent's been out since 2002, by the way. So it might've been Vent. Yeah, it, yeah, it might've been. But it's just, it's just one of those things, like, and then looking at that now, and then looking at how everything is with Twitch and achievements and how everything has shifted, it's just, it's fascinating to see how far we've come. And now the economies are different, too. Like, I remember we used to farm because there really wasn't a gold economy back then. There was, but, like, gold was still, like... Yeah, your epic mount cost you a 1,000 gold. And that was a lot. And that was the biggest expense you were ever going to have. I remember... I didn't get my epic mount until I'd gotten like two or three epic weapons to drop that I could sell. And then I still had to borrow from the one guy in the guild who was just crazy good at gold. Yep. I think I had to borrow like 300 gold from him and he didn't actually ever get it back. He didn't actually ever ask for it back. He stopped playing before I could pay him back. 
uh, because the idea that I was going to come up with 300 gold was going to take me a while. So, yeah. Hell, I still remember running around on foot on my uh, my hunter back in the day because I couldn't afford the regular mount at 40. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't I didn't get my mount until, like, 45, I don't think. Yeah, I, I remember being level 40. Uh, my wife was good enough to get her mount, like, at, like, 40 or 41. I didn't get mine until, like, 45. Yeah, just, no. Yeah, crazy but, stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, so that that's, I just like thinking every so often about that 257 million gold and going, yikes. And that they're pay- right now, they say in the interview that they are paying people back. Like yep. the next few months of playing will be paying people back and then trying to build up a gold store to, to be ready for the next expansion. So that's wow. But uh, let's move on to something that's I think most people will be pretty interested in. Uh, this is something that Joe needs to be given credit for because you on the podcast previously, you've said that they should do this. Um, they made a host of changes to how vessels of horrific visions work and how how you can the coalescing visions work and how you can get pages for them and so forth. To break it all down into the simplest possible terms, uh, they've made it so Vessels of Horrific Visions don't have the unique five uh, limitation on them anymore. So you can... They don't stack. They still don't stack. Uh, They're still taking up one bag slot per vessel. So if you decide you wanted to... You can get ten of them if if you can get up the Coalescing Visions. But if you do that, they will be taking up ten slots in your bags. They won't be stacking. That's a problem, but it's still better than it was before where there's a hard cap of five. The problem with the hard cap of five is let's say you have four vessels of horrific visions in your bags right now, mm-hmm. but something happens this week and you can't run them. Like maybe you're going to be out of, you're going to not going to be home this week or you've got commitments pretty much all week or what have you. So you don't run any this week and thus you don't get any cloak levels or anything next week. You can still only get up to five you know, in your bags and you can still only get like, you'll, you'll, you'll use those five. Let's say you can, you can do all five. You can still buy a couple more, but you can't really catch up. Not like you could now with the new system. You could basically just stockpile them. And then say the time comes in like two or three weeks where you have enough vessels. You, you want to just run vessels all day. You want to do vision, horrific visions all day. You can, and you don't have to worry about it. And you don't have to like, do three and then go back out and buy one more and do do that one okay now i can go run the the weekly thing oh i've got five in my bags already i'd better not do the assault yet because it it won't you know it's just a lot of busy work that they've taken out yeah Uh, i was was gonna say like i've been waiting for that because i was one of those people where there were several weeks or days where i couldn't do visions so like i just didn't have time i mean i just started a new job i haven't had time to sit down and do them in almost two weeks uh that's and and like i'm lucky enough that i got my cloak up to level 10 before i did that but i mean and i'm gonna give Corey uh from blizzard watch some a big shout out there because he he definitely stepped up and helped me get my get my stuff done but it was just daunting and then having to farm all of the the visions and make sure that I didn't over farm and stuff like that. Yeah. It's this change is massive. And I mean, and it's not the only change there's more. No, they also, they changed it so that you, you basically, they made a change on rank seven to 11 on the cloak where it's, it's, it doesn't uh, basically you, you, you don't have to get as many. No, seven to 10, seven to 11 
it's you it's just easier to get the uh the levels done straight up well they also increase but, the amount of things that drop yeah right? they they increase the pages from 7 to 11 if you're if you're doing the 7 to 11 the fear and flesh one they increase the amount of pages that drop for doing uh, an objective so you can be easily get up to four yeah. without once your effort and then when you go from like i think it's 12 to 15 they've reduced the amount of pages it takes and they've reduced it drastically oh yeah like i think it was like the first one is like it's like six down from 16 uh eight down from like 18 and like i think the highest one is 12 down from something like but well yeah, yeah so rank rank 13 is four pages down from six rank 14 is six pages down from 12 and rank 15 is eight pages down from 18 and with the so shift pretty, to being able, yeah. it's a pretty substantial especially when you factor in that you you can get up to four per run so much better yeah, and it's it means that the seven to fifteen levels will be a lot easier to get for your cloak. So I, I think they're doing this just because people have been saying from the beginning that they should do this. Uh, that the initial system was not really set up well, and I don't disagree. I think that this was definitely the way to go. They've also made it so you can get more coalescing visions. Everything drops more. Yes. Um, from one thing, actual horrific assault still gives you a free vessel. Like you just you get a vessel for doing it, and it gives you twenty five hundred coalescing visions. Yes. Then the 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 minor assaults, um, I think they call them lesser threats or something. I, I don't. Blizzard just always comes out with names for these things, but then doesn't tell you what they are until like a week in, and you're like, oh, that's what they call them. All right, whatever. I still call them minor assaults. Um, those those give more. I forget exactly how much. I think they give like like sixty five hundred. Sixty five hundred. So the way that they changed it, which is something I've been asking for as well is not only do you get the one vial from doing the major, but now if you do the major and the minor, you are guaranteed enough for a second vial on top of anything else you earn from doing any of the quests or doing any of the bonus objectives in the zones, which that's huge because before you were only able to get, I think it was like 4,500 or something like that total. So you would still have to do all of these other things. So now between these two changes and then you can still do the uh i forgot what they call it but it's the, the daily quest vision yeah yeah the, the the lesser the other vision the lesser vision of result in the world quests the, the the repeatable daily quests you could probably gather grind up enough to do another vial and you could buy two vials in a week in addition to getting one free from the first one you did so if you want if you really want to you can you can choke up and get a ton of these things uh, which I think is great. I think that they should. I mean, the only limitation here is that, you know, do you want an entire bag full of vessels? Well, and, yeah, and, and, and I think I was going to say, I think the other thing that's really good about that, too, is one of the other things a lot of players are complaining about is if they try to go in solo and they can't, which you don't know if you can or cannot until you go in and they die, they waste the vessel and then they have to wait so many days before they can do it again this helps alleviate a little bit of that and maybe makes you a little safer trying to do one by yourself, especially with the changes to the amount of items you get from them. It, it's yeah. lessening that blow. Cause now if you fail, you're not wasting it and you don't, it, it's the, the stakes are lowered and it's good. It's good that they've done that. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, but yeah, that, so that, that's happened. Um, so if you've been doing that, if you've been, you know, doing the horrific visions and you've, found these things annoying 
these changes are all pretty solid. They're not like world shaking, but they're pretty good to, to changes that that make the process less onerous. Um, another thing, this is now switching gears. We've been talking about World of Warcraft for a bit. Overwatch had a couple things happen. The first is um, just a neat thing that doesn't really require much commentary, but we'll talk about it briefly. Uh, this new Overwatch Mardi Gras event coming out, which with the new Ash and Bob skin, I mean, because the skin affects both Ash and Bob, and some new sprays and stuff. Uh, Joe, you, have you looked at it? What did you think of it? I actually really like it. <laughs> um, I love the color palette, uh, first and foremost. I love the purples and greens and the golds and the whites. It plays off of everything really, really nicely, and it just looks like something you might actually see uh, somebody wearing down during Mardi Gras, which is kind of funny because I've I've been down there during this time and I've seen people with uh, far less ostentatious uh, gearing. So, oh yeah, th- that's absolutely <laughs> true. Quite frankly, Overwatch skins look pretty tame compared to some stuff I've seen on people in Mardi Gras. Uh, but th- in addition to that, uh, the other thing that I thought was a lot more interesting is that. Right now in, in, in Overwatch, there's like a 2-2-2 two, two, two setup for matches where you can have you can have two tanks, two healers, and two DPS. That's kind of the, the way it's been for a while. Uh, but there's the experimental mode that they've just released where you can you can go, okay, we want to go three, two, one. We want to go we want to like mess around with different specs and different different team compositions and see what what happens. Uh, I, I freely admit I don't play a ton of Overwatch and I don't know how much you play, but I do find it interesting that they're having like an actual experimental mode in the game where you can say, okay, we want to play with like non-standard compositions and see what we can do. And it's it's aimed at letting Blizzard see what people do and see what they think about changing the game in the future, which I thought was like, wow, how, how often does that happen? How often does a game come out with a mode to see, okay, what happens if we do this? Does it break the game? And to have the players be the ones trying to break the game, because something I've seen said a lot, and I don't think people really pay enough attention to it, is that Blizzard is never going to come up with the stuff that players will come up with because there are just yep. so many players. There's millions of them. And it's just Blizzard's internal testing team, it can never equal that the sheer manpower that, that players can throw at something to break it. It just isn't possible. There's a reason that bugs get through despite having QA teams. It's not that the QA teams aren't good. It's not that the QA teams aren't testing. It's because there's always that one weird person out there in the world somewhere whose delight is only in destroying systems and making things break. And that guy is really hard to predict. Yeah. And he's and when you have a million people playing your game, there's like a couple thousand of those guys out there at the at once all coming up with weird stuff and seeing and most of the time it doesn't do anything but once in a while it really breaks everything it, so i thought that was really fascinating what do you what do you think joe i was gonna say it reminds me of back in the day and i hate to bring this back to wow but when somebody found the weird exploit with rogues and sinister strike that if you chained it together in a command with uh all of the emotes that you could possibly do at the time into a macro if you hit a player with it from stealth, it would crash the world server. How somebody figured that out or why, I'll never know. But 
edge cases. Edge cases exist. Uh, but this actually is really, really cool for me because I remember when Overwatch very first released, there was no limits or locks on what you could you could pick. You could have an entire team of tanks. You could have an entire team of, of healers if you really wanted to in so much as what it was available in the game. But we used to do, like me and my friends, we would play late night and we would do weird, weird compositions. We would have, you know, like a bunch of charging tanks because we could or... You know, a bunch of weird, not quite DPS, but because we could, because there was some weird pseudo like things in there. Uh, and then there was, I think that was before they did Hero Lock too, where you back in the day you could have four Reinhardts, because why not? You could have six Torbjorns, because why not? And then they actually started like cracking down and trying to balance it out. I like this because it's a much more controlled version of that. <laughs> uh, so I'm kind of super here for it. Like, this is something that I could see uh, me and my friends playing late night and kind of having some goofy, goofy fun with. Yep. Okay. I, I agree. Um, but I think at this point we're going to move on to doing some emails because, you know, we do that here on this show. If you have an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzardwatch in it. Or you can go over to our Discord and there's a uh, patron queue and podcast questions. The first question I think we have tonight, or one of the questions tonight, I know that I took one from that channel, but I don't remember where I put it in the email because I'm that kind of person. I don't remember anything. <laughs> um, but Joe's going to read them for us, so if you don't mind, Joe. Not at all. Hi, Watchmen. Looking back at my experience with BFA, I think that about the rise of Ajara with Najatar and Mechagon, I have felt this since po uh, patch launch. It should have been separate patches. It really felt as, <laughs> as if like Isle of Thunder and the Timeless Isle were released at the same time. All the crazy fun gnome stuff should have been a... Uh, breaking the seriousness like Return to Karazhan, but being welded at the buttocks of Najatar just felt awkward. I just think they could have released Mechagon separate, uh, separate first and done all the same mechanics with Najatar. What are your thoughts on this matter? And this is from Easy Target. We get a lot of questions from Easy Target. Keep them coming. Thanks. Uh, from Alderman. So what do you think? I thought about this a lot, too. Um, the one thing is that I think the reason that it ended up the way it was is because they wanted to get Mechagnomes out there to, to gauge whether or not they'd be really accepted as a playable race. Because, I mean, I, I think that they were, that was going to be the option they were going to offer. They knew that. But they wanted to, to like, have it exist, to have people get to look at it, and to have it be a reputation people could start working on. Because they wanted it to be doable by the time we came around to, like, patch 8.3. Um, and so I think they already knew that they were giving the Horde the more popular race. I, I don't think that that's a surprise to anyone. I think they knew full well that the Horde were going to get the better race again. And that's been the case for a lot of these. A lot of allied races, the player base's consensus is that the Horde get the better one. Um, the, the Nightborn thing, no one's forgotten it. Uh, no one's forgotten the, the, the whole thing about... The Dark Irons came literally out of nowhere. The Maghar came out of nowhere too, but... So there's a lot of back and forth. I personally think that the Dark Irons are the better of those two. I'll say it. I think the Dark, dark Irons are tough. I agree. But they knew that, so they wanted to let people actually get to see the Mechanomes, to, to, to experience them, and maybe then they would like them better. And I think that's why they didn't do it like either earlier or later. I 
don't disagree though that it would have been kind of cool if at say like at patch eight point like one point five we just got the mechanomes as kind of a like warm up like they, that wasn't connected to Nazjatar and then in eight two we got Nazjatar or even you get Nazjatar in eight two and you get the mechanomes in eight point two point five at after the end of the war campaign and you make that be the kind of like story stuff that we get for a while. I could see both of those working and I certainly wouldn't be opposed to them. I, I don't know. I don't feel like they were wrong to do it the way they did, but it does feel strange. And I'll, I'll just straight up say this. I can't make myself do Russ Bark. I can't. I have tried very hard. And I just... It's not even that the quests are bad. It's just out in the middle of nowhere and has nothing connecting it to anything. At least with, with the... The, the, the Naga, stu- Naga stuff, I get a, an emissary every so often. You know? I really only do Nazjatar when there's an emissary. I don't know how other people are playing it, but I go back there when there's an emissary. And I don't have flying. Because I took a bunch of time off, and I did not grind these reps when they were current. So, I have the, the, the Nazjatar stuff, pretty much the Ancoan rep, I have close, pretty close to what I need it to be to get flying. I'm not even pat at a neutral with Rustbark. I just don't care. I don't care so much that I'm probably not going to get flying this expansion. And there's just no connective tissue. There's nothing making me do it. Not having an emissary was a weird choice, but that's I think that's a whole other topic. As far as them being butted up against each other, I'm of two minds. Would I have liked each of them to have been more individually spotlighted? Yeah, I think they could have done some more, especially with digging into uh, the the past of Najatar, and particularly the city we were invading. Uh, like going into what happened, going through some of that history there, there was definitely an opportunity for it. And actually, the same thing with Mechagon. Like we got that super mega dungeon at the time. It's now been broken up for heroic, but looking at it, there are certain places where you actually zip through. And you see how massive, truly, honestly massive Mechagon is. And there's so much that they could have done with it. But here's the problem with that on the other the, the other side of the coin is it might have been too much. Like how much, where do you draw your line? Where is your demark point? Where comes the point where you say this is enough? Or does it turn into this is an entire expansion? And, and I think the other thing that they had to consider was if we scale this back is it enough content and I think Matt I think you're right that they wanted to release the mechanomes to sort of gauge interest and see if that was something people legitimately wanted but I also think it was part of making sure that there was also enough content because we had Eternal Palace for a, quite a bit before the whole uh, Nile Author raid was actually released and making sure that there was enough world content in between is also a really delicate balance. Uh, I wish they would have had an emissary for Mechagon to, to let people go back. I think that they tried doing something different with the way world quests were set up there that I think didn't quite exactly work. But as far as butting them up against each other, I think what we got was probably the best balancing act you could have between super individual highlighting of each zone and or not getting that zone for a very long time. Yeah. I think there's also 
there's something to be said for the fact that I think they wanted to make uh, Rust Bolt and the the, the Mechagon stuff feel more voluntary. And it does. But the problem with that is you still made it a reputation that you have to get to get flying. Yes. Yep. And then it's not voluntary. Unless you're like me and you're actually willing to go without flying. The only reason I'm really willing to go without flying at this point is because A, it would take me too long to get it. And B, I'm doing a lot of stuff not in the world. Like not in, in Kaltiris, Zandalar, or Nazatar. I'm doing stuff like I'm doing like the assaults. The assaults are in the old world. I already have flying there. If I'm doing like if the, if most of my stuff is raids, assaults, and horrific visions, I I don't have to do it. I don't need flying that bad. Occasionally, doing an emissary on an alt is not, is not super great to feeling when you when you can't fly, but it's not a world. It's not a deal breaker. It's like instead of this taking me 50 minutes, it will take me 30 minutes. Sure. Okay. Then then I didn't have to spend the hours and hours of time it was going to take me to grind out this rep so I don't really mind as much so there's there's that and maybe that's even something Blizzard wanted they wanted people who didn't really need flying not to get it if that's the case there you go but it is definitely something that I've noticed uh, and I do think that having them spaced out might have helped with that I don't know but ultimately you're not wrong about having content that's absolutely the case and, and it's always going to be the case that once the content isn't relevant anymore, there's always going to be that feeling of why am I bothering? Why would I, like, I, I'm already at the point where when it's an invasion zone, I don't bother. Like, oh, the horde are attacking, uh, the horde are attacking. We have to go stop. Them. Like, why? You're going to need me a piece of 370 gear. It's a guaranteed, it's a guaranteed scrap. I, I don't care. There's, there's no chance that this thing is going to be good. So, Yeah. I don't see any reason. And that's fine. Maybe that's that's fine. Uh, but in terms of having those two zones at the same time, yeah, it definitely does feel weird. But I don't have a I don't have a better solution for how it should work. Well, if you have a better solution out there, let us know. Or if you have an idea of how you think they should have done it, I'd love to hear it. Our next one, greetings, snow observers. Lealis Drenai Mage from Garrosh. With Shadowlands, you're going to have all the previous expansions be level 1 to 50 experiences, and then Shadowlands be level 50 to 60. What if, with the next expansion, Blizzard resets everyone to 50, Shadowlands becomes another 1 to 50 zone, and the new expansion was 50 to 60? What do you think? I honestly don't know about this, uh, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean, I literally don't know. Uh, I, I don't, I can see reasons to do this. I can see reasons not to do it. It would solve the idea of out leveling forever. Like we would never actually have to like, we'd constantly be in a state of between expansions resetting. So we'd never have to worry about, Oh, we're all like level 120 again. It would kind of make the treadmill aspect of wow. Feel even more treadmilly. <laughs> if yeah. like you'd always get to 60 and then boom, back to 50 and always up to 60 and boom, back to 50. That would feel strange, and I don't think people would like it. Uh, I think one of the fun things about World of Warcraft is getting levels uh, and, and feeling more powerful. I get why they're doing the level squish now, but I don't think they can just do a level squish every expansion. I feel like the, the negative feeling of it, and that's something, it's like, in pure mathematical terms, it is 
absolutely inconsequential that they're doing this. Mm-hmm. As long as they tune things so that they work the same, it's inconsequential. It does not affect you. But it has a negative sensation to it. And sensation is very important in a game like this because ultimately there are no actual consequences or rewards to playing a game. It's playing the game. It's the sense of fun, of exploration, of of good times. WoW Classic has managed to skate for like a year now purely on feeling good to people that wanted to have it. And some of those people were actually pretty disappointed by it because it wasn't, it wasn't what they expected. It didn't feel the way they wanted it to. It was exactly what was promised, but it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. That's always going to be a problem. I think making players reset every expansion would have pretty negative effects, but there's no mechanical reason they couldn't. And it would be interesting, you know, or for that matter, one thing they could do this expansion coming up, like after Shadowlands is over, they could make everything a one to 60 zone. Yeah. And then you'd level to 70 in the next expansion. So Shadowlands would go on the, would go in the roster. You could level purely through Shadowlands. Um, I don't know. I, I, what do you think, man? I, I think that, let me see, let me see how I can say this. Think about the first time you hit level 100 and what that felt like. Think about going back further and if you played back then, think about what hitting level 60 felt like and then hearing that the next expansion was coming out and that the level was increasing by another 10. Like when we started playing this game 60 felt like forever. In a lot of cases, it was for 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 folks. It was a hard grind to get to the max level. It was not. The yeah, game anybody who anyone who spent time in Tanaris killing Ooh. Scorpion because there was nothing else to kill at your level. Oh, geez. But it had this big reward to it when you hit that level, when you hit that cap, when you finally did it. And I remember for a while hitting max level was a big guild-wide celebration, sometimes server. Like, I still remember when we had our first level 60 on Zul'jin, and everybody was excited, at least Hordeside, when general chat and trade chat and all that other stuff. Like, that was a big deal. And then as the levels got bigger, yeah, it got a little more unruly, but it still felt big and powerful and important. I think you're right, and I think if they were to reset all players back 10 levels and you're just doing the 10 level grind. Why? It sort of takes that feeling of accomplishment and, and, and sort of epicness away. Now I'm not saying that they shouldn't be doing resets every now and then they should, it makes sense. It, it does. But I like your idea. I like the idea of everything becomes a one to 60 zone. And then you level from 60 to 70 in the next expansion, because then you still feel that level of that sense of accomplishment I think while the other idea isn't, it's not a bad idea. I think it removes that player reward. It, 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 my, my tiny lizard brain really likes that feeling of hitting max level. I don't want it to always be the number 60. It it will just lose its meaning. I did this already. Exactly. I did this on this character already. I mean, to that certain degree, that's the risk we're coming, going into Shadowlands with, but it's been long enough that it won't immediately feel like an immediate bad thing. Whereas mm-hmm. if you did it every, 
every year or two you're back to 50, that's a different thing. And I think people would really, there'd be a, a, a sizable amount of players who would not like how that felt. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest hurdle, right? And I think that's why you don't see them do level squish as often as you think they should or that they would is because they have to balance that sort of that player feeling. They have to make sure that players feel rewarded. And if you take that away, you start losing those players. And I hate to say this, and I'll probably sound like a broken record. The model for games now is engagement. And if you're taking away things that make your players feel good, you're not engaging them and keeping them in game and those players go away. And if they go away, wow suffers. And now you start seeing server shutter and then the death knells of games. I, I mean, I can point to Wildstar for that. Like, these are things that happen. So these are considerations that they have to make. It's when is the right time to pull that trigger on the squish. Now is pretty much that right time, I think. We've we've come a little far. Yeah, I think you're right. Moving along, we have a question from Spry Sprocket from Proudmore, another frequent question giver. Thank you very much for those. Greetings, watchers, in the style of Kiss Mary Kill. Chandris, Gelbin, Lorthamar. Who gets a dungeon about them? Who's the final boss of a raid? And who has an expansion centered around them? What do you think? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I'm going to actually answer the Kiss Mary Kill thing. Uh, kiss Chandris, Mary Gelbin, kill Lorthamar. Uh, because he's warden, I don't care. Um, you know, a whole lot of people are like kill Lorthamar. He's <gasps> yeah, I know, I know, but you know, I got to kill one of them. So, but now to answer the actual question, uh, I don't think Chandra's count would be a good dungeon about them person because she's not like. I'll be upfront. All of these are characters I like and don't want to see get killed in the first place. Uh. I, 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 Lorthamar is fascinating. I, 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 watching Lorthamar and his Thalysra problem was just great. It's like listening to, to Gideon Emery do the, oh, well, I've got stuff to do. Oh, no, okay, I guess I will. It's like, dude's like hemming and hawing and pulling on his collar and going, I'm an So, yeah, I, I don't want to see any of them get like nuked in a, in a raid or dungeon. But I would love it if they made a dungeon about, Lorthamar and and the night and the blood elves like taking steps to like make their people stronger and more independent like imagine a, a dungeon that was basically the sunwell again and it's like you know or magister's terrace or whatever they're clearing it out they're getting it ready they're getting rid of all the stuff or you know something kalthos did they're dealing with that legacy that would be a great dungeon or, or, or a raid like i'd be cool for that gelbin i don't want to see get final bossed but we've—he's actually just gotten a new job, where he's kind of the head of of all gnomes, mm-hmm. and I think we could do an expansion center around him, uh, because he's got this a whole lot going on. And I, I've always thought they should be a gnome-heavy expansion. That they should be something where the gnomes are major movers and shakers in the world, because gnomes are crazy. Yes. And and not crazy in that way where they blow themselves up. Nope. If a, if, if a goblin device blows up, it's because the goblin didn't know what they were doing. If a gnome device explodes, it's because it was supposed to explode. That's what we were going for. This is a giant bomb. That, that is what we've made. Um, whereas with Chandris, I mean, Chandris, I, I don't want her to get final boss because she'd die. Like, you know, and I don't want her to die. I think she's a character who should be around forever. But I can't see an expansion centered around her. 
like what would that be? The the, the only <laughs> way. Well, actually, I already just came up with one, but it would be a, a Shandris. I guess I'm switching now and saying I want Shandris to get the expansion. So yeah, sorry, Gelvin, you're you're gonna have to have a dungeon, I suppose. Um, the Shandris expansion would be about Shandris basically finally stepping up and taking the reins of the Night Elves. And saying to like to Taranda and Malfurion, you guys have gone too far. You, you're not. Your decisions are not good decisions for all of our people. And it's time for you to 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 do the things that you do and leave running a nation up to the people. That I could see, and that would be interesting. So I guess we'd give Chandris that expansion, the expansion where the Night Elves fundamentally change the way they do things. Perhaps through conflict with the, with each other, or perhaps straight up that, you know, Taronda and Malvirian might want to break. Be like, you know, we've been through a lot, uh, this whole Night Warrior thing, and our people getting killed, and it's time for somebody else to be making the day-to-day decisions for our people. You need to step up and, and do that so that we can recover. That could be what you did. But yeah, we'll give her the expansion. We'll let Lorthamar we'll let Lorthamar have a raid. But I think the raid should basically shouldn't be let's go kill Lorthamar, but it should be Lorthamar leads you through this raid to do something good for his people. Uh and you know, maybe he can be the final boss, but it's a situation where it's it's not let's kill Lorthamar, but it's like let's help Lorthamar do something. And Gelbin could get a dungeon because I could definitely see it being a dungeon where Gelbin has like tampered with stuff. Like it's maybe it's Gelbin versus Mimiron or something where like Gelbin wanted to understand something a little bit too much. And now we got to go put it down. Like, Oh, oops. Uh, yeah, great. Good job. Yeah. That, that was great. I really do think there's going to be, there's going to be stuff coming out of Alduar, not in Shadowlands, maybe not anyway, but I definitely think we're going to, cause you remember, the part in in 8.3 where mother contacts Alduar to check on the machinery and she mm-hmm. gets a yes everything's fine and then Mimron cuts the connection immediately. Yep. Why did he do that? Like so I could see Gelbin putting together a strike force and going in to find out what's going on there. But that's that's my that's what I'm going with. What about you? So this is a real hard one for me because I like all three of these characters quite a bit. Uh so I'm going to cheat a little bit. So I kind of like your idea because I've been thinking about this too. Like why, why was Alduar cut off during that communication? What does it mean? Did it, is it tied in with the Nihalatha raid in a way that like, because during the Nazoth fight, if you look in the background of what's going on, you see the heart chamber, you see a very clear connection between the unreality of Nihalatha and the heart, uh, the heart chamber, is that what our little weirdly mechanical gnome friend saw happening, knew that there was a potential point of corruption and wanted to seal it off. Seems like he's already got enough to deal with out there or already had it. I could see them being like that, but I would like to see a dungeon with a dungeon about that, like a, maybe a mega dungeon like they did with Mechagon, but with Gelbin leading that strike force in, because now he's the king of all gnomes. And if a Meccano gnome up top in the north, you know, one of the watchers is doing some weird funky stuff, I feel like he would want to know about that now. And especially to make that connection again with sort of that lost technology, it seems like exactly like a king of all the gnomes would do. I'd love to see something about that. As far as a raid, 
or a final boss of a raid or an entire expansion around them, I'm going to say I want these both combined. And I want an elf-centered expansion. I'm not saying that it has to be, you know, anything super, you know, specific as far as, like, each of these is concerned. But there's very... There's very interesting stories happening on both sides of the faction divide with elves. There's a whole lot of weird, interesting things that they could do with it. Chandra's trying to be the now step up to be the leader of, of her people when the former leaders aren't really suited for it anymore. That's a huge story plot. And that's something that could be an Alliance side centric story that gives the Alliance a meaty, healthy, good expansion and that leads into some form of raid at some point. Lothamar is also dealing with a lot of that as well, where he's trying to... He's in the spotlight for the first time in a very, very, very long time, and I think the way his character has developed over the course of the last couple expansions has been phenomenal. Everything from his Theresa problem to like him currently stepping up and being like, no, we gotta do better. Like I'm tired of just following now. I think I think we're good. We can start making decisions now. I'd like to see both of those things explored more. And whether that is a, a, a raid for either of them or an entire expansion centered around them, I, I can't decide between the two because I think it would work out well for both of them as long as... I don't want any three of these to die. I think Shander should be around for a long time. I think Lorthamar is a lot more interesting than some of the other protagonists that could potentially exist in the Horde side now. And Gelbin's just getting started. Like, this is... These are three really cool story points that you could pull on and really do a whole lot with. So I know that doesn't really answer the question in the spirit of, of Kiss, Mary Kill, uh, but I can definitely tell you I would kiss Lothamar because that is a pretty elf. Dude, I'm sorry. Shandris is there. Yeah. He, he might as well be an old boot. Yeah, but her mount will just maul me. Dude, she'd maul you. <laughs> I wouldn't be worrying about her maul. And, and I can't, and I, and I can't, and I can't be in a relationship with Galvin. I can't be anybody with that's the same height as me. Just no, it doesn't uh, work. Galvin is just like he's like my my mechanical grandpa. I, I don't I don't want to like <laughs> mechanical know, grandpa. Uh, so we're gonna move on from that one. <laughs> uh, hello, Patreon supporter here. Uh, this is Baba Yaga, Drenai warrior from Lothamar. Uh, greetings, General Rossi and Totem Placer Perez. Oh, I like that. I'm gonna get that on a shirt. I have been mostly disappointed. I'm doing the salute thing. <laughs> uh, I have been mostly disappointed in crafting the last several expansions, with one exception: separating out each one, er, separating out each one into separate tiers for each expansion. However, I do think they could take this even further. That is, you could learn whatever two professions you wanted each expansion. You could be a minor blacksmith in Cataclysm, a herbalist alchemist in Pandaria, and a skinner leather working in Legion, etc., etc. What pros and cons do you see to this idea? Thanks much. Happy to be a support for Lorewatch. Bubba. First of all, thanks for supporting Lorewatch. We appreciate that. Because uh, we like doing it. Yes, thank you. Mm, the idea of, like, okay, I've got Pandaria blacksmithing, but I... I, I I don't know. Like I, the idea of you actually only knowing like expansion level recipes and stuff. I, I like that they break it out so you can like level that skill and, and thus not have to worry about going back and leveling previous skills, but making it so you can't do them. So, cause you only know like the Pandaria stuff. 
I feel like that's a level of complexity that's going to end up just annoying people more than it would actually make people happy. Uh, I, I see like the appeal to it if you're the kind of person who really wants to customize exactly what you do. That's pretty cool. Um, but then you're, you're going to end up in a situation where someone's like, it turns out for alchemy purposes that it's better to have the flasks from like the, the last expansion because they're still pretty good, but you're going to need the buffs from like leatherworking. For, like, it's just, yeah, it's a level of... There's a thing called like crunchy bits in, in mm-hmm. when you're talking about like you know pen and paper supplements for for role playing games. It's a level of what they would call crunch that I think is too much. That would be my my knee jerk response to this is that's too much. It's too much granularity. It's too much. Okay, what's the exact benefit of doing this? Um, and I don't want to have to go back. And get a different level, different expansions, blacksmithing because it's got you know, cool side benefits that I'm going to need like you know, horseshoes from a mount or whatever. But it, it's just I don't want to have to think about it that hard, uh, quite frankly. Although I do think it might be kind of interesting if they just let you, automatically just pick and respec, your professions every expansion. Like as soon as you went into the next one, you could go up to a trainer and just take, like whatever two you wanted, and but you'd still have all the, those two. Like you would still be a, just a minor blacksmith, but you chose mining and blacksmithing for this expansion, and you get a like you get a, a new choice every expansion. That's this, that would be kind of fun and interesting. But the idea of having like specific tiers of each, like I've got Legion Skinner leatherworking, but I've got Pandaria Herbalist Alchemy. Uh, that doesn't. I don't. I don't know. But what do you think, Joe? So. <sighs> There's pros and cons to the idea of having expansion-specific crafting or skills, trade skills. The pros I can definitely understand, like you're saying, like you're saying, Rossi, and like like I believe Bubba is alluding to, is like it is a form of ultimate sort of customization. But that, like you said, it gets into this this min-maxing mentality. I think it would be too overwhelming, especially for more casual players or players that don't necessarily want to think too hard about it. Like if you want to drop in and drop out of the game, but you still like doing professions. Like I know people that actually, they don't raid, they don't do dungeons. They don't even do the assaults. They actually just like farming for whatever reason. They just like going around and collecting ore and herbs and that's their Zen moment for the week, right? And they do it, they help their friends out or whatever, and they just really like that. They don't want to have to worry about, well, did I train it for Cataclysm? Did I train it for this? Did I train it for that? They just go and do whatever. And I think that the way the current system's set up might actually be the best way they could do it without a complete overhaul of trade skills as a whole. Now, don't get me wrong, I think that there needs to be a reckoning with trade skills. I think that Warlords of Draenor broke it irreparably, and they need to just blow it up and start over and figure out a system that works again. But the one concept that I want them to keep is I like the idea of having tiers within an expansion. This is the first expansion in probably about, I think, the last two, maybe three expansions that I've actually leveled jewel crafting to max level. Because the way they broke it down was easy enough to digest and it didn't feel like an insurmountable goal. It felt 
just about right to do it. And the benefits I got from it were great. I think that there could be, like I said, I think there was merit to doing it the other way, but I think this is the best we can do right now. Uh, that said, if I had the opportunity to min max, I am the type of player that would do it. Uh, just because I would totally like to be that guy that wears the clown shoes and clown outfit because that's just who I am. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting question. It is definitely something that I think I it's something that I hope that Blizzard Entertainment will actually take a look at more in depth in the future, especially with Shadowlands coming out. There's another opportunity to redo trade skills. Maybe they could look at crafting professions and figure out a way to make them better for everybody. But I don't quite think the buy expansion one is is the way to go. All right. I think we got time for one more. Uh, Warcraft 3 is my jam. I am really enjoying it. I've played it many, many times before. I started with World of Warcraft about six months prior to Burning Crusade, and then I never played it again. Until now. This is so fun. I never felt the emotions of the game so strongly before the way I do now, and I attribute that to you and your shows over the last... Uh, low these many years and preaching the message of empathy in the characters and story, a perspective I've grown to truly appreciate. In fact, I'm in the undead campaign. Now the calling of Stratholm, I can kind of sort of understand, but the burning of the boats and the betrayal of the mercenaries and the deaths of Muradin and Uther really affected me in an emotional manner that I did not anticipate. These tasks were genuinely difficult to make myself perform. It's only a game. It's only a game. What has been your top five or ten emotional moments from WoW Warcraft, and what has been your top emotional moments in gaming as a whole? How does the WoW universe stack up? P.S. I thought seriously about running Classic again just for Daroshara, but nope, too much work. Uh, this is from Noyuli Bovine, Bovine Druid, uh, Seafaring Sapien Druid on Terrellian Realm. Uh, wow, that's a that's a whole lot there. I'll go ahead for go for it, Rossi. I'm not going with 10 because that's, we'll be here all day. Yeah. Um, first off, I think one of the, like one of the most interesting things about Arthas as a character, one of the things I've always liked when talking about him and thinking about him is Arthas is a perfect example of the sunk cost fallacy. At every step before he picked up the, the Rimblade, when you watch Arthas's path, you watch a man who keeps saying to himself, I can't stop now. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've If I stop now, it was all for nothing. That's Arthas in a nutshell. And you see him do it all the way through that, up until the point where he finally has, he's betrayed his men. He's betrayed the mercenaries that he used to betray his men. He's even betrayed Muradin, uh, who is like a, a father figure, a mentor to him. Yep. He's, he's burned his own cities. He's killed his own people. Now, he didn't do those things because he's a mustache-twirling villain. He did those things because he honestly really believed. Again, he kept coming on to, up to that sunk cost fallacy. Once I did this thing, once I burned Stratholme, I was committed. And, and he ha you know, I've got to stop him. I've got to, to kill, you know, that, that, that Dreadlord. I've, I've just got to. And then the next thing comes up. And he's like, well, I've already done this, so... If I stop now, if I go back now, what was it all for? And you see, you really see that. And that's one of the things I've always thought was very interesting about Arthas. One of the things I thought was interesting about him in, in, in Wrath of the Lich King, and I wouldn't have 
caught on to it if I hadn't seen him in Warcraft 3. It's that everything about Arthas and Wrath of the Lich King is very much him trying to prove that he was right. Yeah. Back all the way when when we were first in, you know, the Burning Crusade and the first Wrath of the Lich King like uh, BlizzCon cinematic came out and it was like a it was the in-game rendered bit where he's like young hero, I was just like you. That's what he that's the first thing you hear him say in in Warcraft. Except for like his brief brief voiceover in Nextramus 40. The first thing he says is young hero, I was just like you. I you know, I did these things that you're doing. I thought that I was right. I thought that I was doing the right thing. And I was. And you'll do it too. And that's the entire everything from beginning to end, it's him trying to prove that, you know, now you're going to be like me and you're going to range out and conquer the world for me, just like I did. You're going to do what I did. And I thought that, that that's in my top five emotional moments and was in WoW is when I realized that everything Arthas has been doing from the beginning up to, and this was during the Lich King fight, because uh, we were doing it on, on what was then called Heroic. It was realizing that this was all just a, a man trying to justify his many, many, many transgressions rather than admit, Oh God, what have I become? What have I done? He's trying to justify it. That the, the ripping out of his heart, the whole Matthias Linhare storyline, it was all just somebody trying to justify their actions. Not just that they were right, but that anybody in his position would have done what he did. So that's right up there. Um, I'm going to say it. The burning of Teldrassil has affected me very, oh, very, yeah. very deeply. Yep. Um, I, I didn't, I still haven't gotten over it. Uh, I know a lot of you are going to laugh at me and say, Oh yeah, it's just a game. But I mean, I built up a lot of attachments over the years. I played that. I've been through those places. I saw those things. Um, my, when I changed to night elf at the, the end of, of warlords, my character had disparate connections to those places on purpose. And when something like that happens, it changes your character, whether or not you want it to. Like if you've decided, well, my warrior has family in Dolinar. Well, did they get out? Because Dolinar's gone. You know, there's there's that kind of thing. Uh, but there's also quiet stuff. I think I might have to break this. Just stop it at three because I've been talking quite a bit. And I want you to get some stuff, some stuff in here, but. Uh, you mentioned Darrowshire. Darrowshire is definitely a moment that I had pretty strong emotional resonance on. Uh, the bit at the end of original WoW when we get the phylactery from Kel'Thuzad and you know that he's going to give it back, you know, that he's not going to destroy it. When you when you bring it to Father Inigo Montoy and he's like, oh, yeah, sure. There's even quests, there's text to the effect of like, you know, Sure, there's a voice in your head that says you should just destroy this thing instead of turning it over to somebody for money. But luckily, that inner voice is easily quashed. Like, that's in the text. And you're like, this is such a bad idea. I think one of the ones that I've never forgotten, however, is the the opening. People forget how good the opening of Warlords of Draenor was. Mm -hmm. and they forget how good the leveling game in Warlords of Draenor was. And there's a lot of moments in Warlords of Draenor. In fact, I'm just going to list three of them really fast. The actual opening bit where you free Gul'dan. And you know it's a bad idea. This is an. This is not just a pair of bad idea jeans. This is the entire back of the store of bad idea jeans. This is literally, you know, your your next ten Christmas presents worth of bad bad idea jeans. 
and you still do it because you know what are you going to do? You have to you you have to get him out, or otherwise the portal won't shut, and you need to shut the portal because they keep coming through. So that's that made sense. That but it was still a big moment. The end, and and keep in mind, I did not play Horde as my main in in Warlords, but the end of Frostfire Ridge with Gnar. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you are made of stone if that doesn't affect you. You are literally made of stone if it's Dur- it's Duraton and Gnar standing there, and Duraton's like, "We will give him the time he needs, brother." And he turns to him and goes, "No, get get out of here." You have to lead our people. Like, I will do this. And he's been such a dick. That whole leveling experience, he was just such an angry dick. But you finally get to see someone can be an angry dick and still have that moment of nobility. They can, there's more to him than just your interactions with him. His, his emotional state this whole time, it's been love. He loves his people. The, the, the arguments with Duraton, all of it. It's not that he hates them or wants to destroy them. It's he loves them. And this is the only way he has to show it. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a gut punch watching him die. You know? Yeah. And it's just, that's one of those moments. There's a lot more of them. But in terms of my top 10 emotional moments in gaming as a whole, uh, I can't really reveal the one from Assassin's Creed Odyssey without spoiling it. And I don't want to spoil it in case you haven't played it, which I don't know what the heck your problem is. I, I've been talking about the dang thing for a year and a half now. Go play the freaking thing. Um, but that, the the Morden moment in in Mass Effect 3, the Mother oh, moment in yeah. Dragon Age 2. Yep. Um, there's a moment in Baldur's Gate 2 that's up there. Uh, and... and uh, I mean, yeah, there's a lot. I think WoW does pretty well, but some of them are just, you know, it's not fair to expect to expect them to be quite as strong as every game out there. I mean, it's a, it's a big, big universe full of games. So, but yeah, there's 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 lots of them. Uh, I, I think WoW does pretty well. Um, I'm leaving out a ton. Like there's <laughs> there's stuff in Legion that I really wish. I, I mean, the the Sarah moment in Legion is really a big emotional moment for me. I don't know how other people felt about it, but by that time I felt like I knew you, Sarah. Like we, I don't know if we'd say we were friends, but she's someone I definitely was like, I'd interacted with and done stuff with and so forth. So yeah, but I'm going to shut up now. So Joe can actually talk. <laughs> uh, if I were to go over the wow and Warcraft stuff, we'd be here all day. The pro the thing is they've done a lot of these characters really, really well. And they've had these, really heartfelt gut-wrenching moments and there's been several points throughout the history of the game in which I've just stopped and gone whoa uh and or it's hit me and and it does that really well because wow is a game that through the lore and in the game itself it really helps you feel invested in the characters especially if they're your favorites uh you identify with a character like Vol'jin's death actually made me tear up a little bit because it 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 sucked it was one of those moments like didn't see it coming it was Vol'jin one of the 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 few characters that I think actually had a noble spirit or wanted to at least try to be noble you know wanted things to go on a good path and then that happens to him and it was just watching him decay and flake away like that and watch that sort of slow 
decrepit death that he had to go to. It wasn't even a clean death. Like, Varian died, and that sucked. But at least his death wasn't, like, this long, agonizing, slow decay. Did it hurt? Yeah. Was it clean? No. Vulgens was definitely dirtier. And when watching that, it just hurt me so badly. Watching Arthas make that decision to, to go through with something he knew was wrong, but convinced himself that he needed to do, that hurt too. Because it was one of those things like, why would a somebody who subscribes to the light, who, who embraces the light, who wields the light, ever think this was a good idea? Yeah, but they. The worst part is that they show you why. Oh, they. I know they do. The, if if you do the gameplay, if you play through it, you see why, and you. It's really hard. Like I'm to this day. Yes, what he wanted to do was wrong, but show me an option anybody else was giving him. It's like, would it really have been better to just wait for everybody in Stratholme to become a monster and then kill them? When you'd have to spend how many lives and possibly infect how many people trying to contain them? Because they're going to come boiling out of that place as walking corpses. At least if I kill them now, they die clean and they don't kill anybody else. Like, it's it's a horrible thing. But what he saw in Anderhal, like the, the, the waves of the dead mm-hmm. that he saw, the fact, you know, it, it's just one of it those things. It profoundly broke him. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's what's sad about it. Arthas, outside of Stratholme, is in trauma. He is messed up, and nobody helps him. Nobody gives him any alternative. Nobody, not even, like, you could even have, you know, Uther could even have said, listen to me, if we do this, we we are ultimately as bad as the demon there's a chance for those people. We have to try and give it to them, even if it, if it's harder or riskier something, but he isn't, he isn't given that. Nobody yep. does that. They just, they just argue with them. They yep. just fight with them. So, yeah, I mean, there's, but there's a ton of stuff like that. Like I'll, you just mentioned Vol'jin. So I'm going to move on to like some things that are not well related. Cause I do play it. I mean, I play a lot of video games. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. There are some that stand out to me uh, as weird gut wrenching moments that hit me way harder than I think they should, that, than I expected them to. Uh, the Last of Us, the opening sequence in mm-hmm. which you watch Joel lose his daughter, like that was completely unexpected, and it was so heart wrenching and and it frames how broken he is as a character, and that's an important character trait. But it was just devastating to watch and to watch him go through that. Uh, the Walking Dead Telltale game, when Lee died, that that whole sequence broke me. Like I actually had to. That's s- the one where he's telling her to leave. Yep, and she when he's turning into the uh, the zombie because he's been bitten, and she has to kill him, or or make the option, the choice. But watching Clementine just wow, um, oh man, it was just, it was so heart wrenching. It was probably the hardest video game death I think I'd seen in a long, long time because you were seeing it through the eyes of a child. And then there's two more moments that I thought were were just absolutely gut-punching as well. I'm going to go back to Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know or are unfamiliar with that game, you play as a character named Wander who you get tasked by a demigod named Dorman to kill a bunch of giant colossi in order to save your dying spouse. And you go and do it. 
And then Dorman's soul completely enters you and turns you into essentially the embodiment of his immortal demon soul. You accomplish your goal at the sacrifice of you and everything. And that entire end sequence is just heart-wrenching because everything you did up to this point, you're justified. Because these things are, are, some of them are downright gentle, these colossi that you're killing. And then you get to the end and you realize, well, I done messed up. And there's just nothing else left. And the last one, probably one that actually made me openly weep, but this one with tears of joy, the Spider-Man PS4 game. The last sequence in which Peter is helping Miles move into his college dorm. And he he says, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to help you out. You know, I'm going to be here for anything you need. You know, we can talk about things. I'll make sure everything is good. And this comes a whole sequence where Miles and Peter have been talking throughout the game. And then Miles goes, yeah, there's one more thing. And then flips up onto the ceiling. And then Peter does the same thing. It was just one of those moments where the identity of these characters is such a, like a sacred thing in the comic book world. Like, and I know it's been shattered a thousand times, whatever, but them having that level of trust with each other after such a short period of time and having that sort of sequence where Peter's been through it all, he can actually mentor miles in a way that, you know, no other character really has had in, in sort of a fair shake. It made me cry because it was such a beautiful moment and it was so short, but yep, that hit me. That absolutely hit me. <laughs> so those are my moments and there's many more. We could be here all day. <laughs> yeah. If we had a, just a general video game podcast, trust me that we probably would have made this the show, <laughs> but thank you everybody for coming along and blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on the podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience as well as other benefits as helping us support weekly lore watches and the potential future of other such content as a tabletop specific podcast potentially and possibly more posts as well as a monthly D&D session. We thank you for your continued support. Okay, thank you very much Joe. Uh, again guys, if you have emails, you know where to send them. Uh, you can go to our Discord server or you can send it to podcast@blizzardwatch.com. I'm going to do something a little different this time cuz I'm not going to answer this one myself. I'm going to put this one out here just for Joe. <laughs> New one character in World of Warcraft or Warcraft lore, one character who you don't think has gotten enough attention. What would you do with them and who is it? Oh, dang it. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can answer that one. That's a thinker. Alrighty, we'll just leave it there then. Because we don't have any time. We don't have time to mess around. So if you want to hear us oh. talk more about it, maybe submit it as a question for next week. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for being here, and uh, we'll be here next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.